Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic visions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Tuesday, November 2nd, 2021. November 2nd is officially the Day of the Dead, National Deviled Egg Day, National Ohio Day, celebrating when the 17th state entered the Union, and National Broadcast Traffic Professional Day. So, uh, Aaron, here's hoping that you, your lovely bride, Sabrina, got a cake for the guy who handles the traffic reports at her TV station? No, it's her day off, so she uh, got no cake for no one. Uh, okay. Now, uh, speaking of Sabrina, right after William Shatner took his 10-minute-long ride aboard Blue Origin, your wife got to interview this 90-year-old about his suborbital excursion. What was that like? Did she enjoy chatting with Captain Kirk? She might as well have gone to space herself because she was floating on air. <laughs> cloud 11, bypass 9, right through it, went straight to cloud 11. You know, with celebrity interviews, time is short. She mm -hmm. only had like a four-minute window, mm -hmm. and she got to ask one question about how did you enjoy your flight into space? Was it fun? Mm -hmm. And then he said, fun is not the right word. And he broke down into a language lesson about the origin of the word fun and how it was derived. And, and she's like, oh, God, did I make a horrible mistake? And then he expanded about, you know, how it was an emotional experience and all this. And, and yeah, so he just filled the entire four minutes answering that one question. Mm -hmm. And uh, her highlight was he, he didn't want to ruin the lavalier microphone. So he asked if she would help take it off of him. And mm -hmm. she said, I got to touch his chest. And uh, <laughs> so that was a little bonus from my wife that she got to fondle Mr. Shatner. And uh, yeah, anyway, it was a good time. I don't have the rights to share the audio because it belongs to the TV station. However, mm -hmm. if you want to look it up, go look up Fox 59 Indianapolis. I'm sure you'll find it somewhere on the webpage. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Okay, and tomorrow, November 3rd, is National Sandwich Day. So if you don't finish all of those devil eggs that you made for National Devil Egg Day, just throw them in a bowl, put some mayonnaise on them, whip that mess up with a fork, get two pieces of white bread, and presto, you got an egg salad sandwich all ready for Sandwich Day. And, and I hope the next day is National Gas Day. <laughs> Oof. Okay. Do you get the sense I'm stalling here, folks? Because I, I, I have to be honest, I'm very hesitant to proceed with the news segment of today's show. Speaking of which, though, news portion of Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestination.com. Okay, so where was I? Oh, yes, I was stalling. I Well, I'm not stalling. I'm, I'm delaying because... There's some Marvel-related news this week that confused me. Let's start with what Bill Murray said late last month while he was out doing press for Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch. In the process of doing that press, he let slip that he will be appearing in Ant-Man of the Wasp Quantumania. Did you see the story? I did. Actually, I saw a rumor about it a while ago, and it was like, I want to say, I don't know if it was a stunt person or someone who dubs... Bill's voice for a different country. Oh. But someone who was associated with Bill through other work was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be in Ant-Man and the Lost Quantumania doubling in for Bill uh, as this. Mm -hmm. And everyone went, wait a minute, what? Who, what, huh? what? It's in the hole. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, he got all of that one. Okay, well, I missed that item, but this came out via uh, the Frankfurt Allgemeine, which is a highly regarded German newspaper. Here's the specific quote. 
said, you know, recently I made a Marvel movie. I probably shouldn't tell you, but never mind. In any case, some people were quite surprised when I decided on such a project. But for me, the thing was clear. I got to know the director and really liked him very much. It was funny, humble, everything you want in a director. And the cheerleader story, bring it on. He made a movie years ago, which I thought was damn good. And this was evidently the giveaway that, that what he was talking about was Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania, because Murray never says Peyton Reed's name, but Peyton did direct Bring It On for Universal Pictures. Bill continues with his interview. So I agreed to do this Marvel movie, although I'm not interested in these huge comic book ad- adaptations in an actor otherwise. Let's put it this way. The director is a good guy, and now I've at least tried out what it's like to shoot a Marvel movie, but I don't think I needed that experience a second time. So how far back did you hear this from the the stunt person, the dubbing person? I want to say it's been two or three weeks, wow. and we just filed it directly into rumors okay. until something more uh, concrete came along. By the way, Bill Murray is not aware of IMDb, <laughs> so when he thought he was going to talk about bringing on the movie, he's like, well, nobody's seen it. <laughs> Nobody will ever know who the director of that is. There's no way to find out. That's in the past. <laughs> okay. All right. You have to understand this old people are technically challenged, okay? Apparently, the way that Bill takes on roles is you have to call his phone directly. He doesn't have, like, an I agent or anything. He just this. has, yeah. like, you leave a message on his answering machine as a pitch, and he'll go through his messages, and if it catches his ear, he'll either say yes or no, and that's how he takes roles nowadays. So, wow. apparently, uh, Peyton Reed got a hold of his phone number at a party late one night, and he's like, hey, I got an idea for an ex-golfer who ends up saving the universe. What do you say to that? You know, and uh, I don't know what they came up with. What character do you think he's going to play? You know, like Galactus? I- <laughs> oh no, because remember, this is Quantum Mania. This is supposedly when Kang the Conqueror officially comes on the canvas, and it's a surprise Marvel character. And we were just dealing with this last week, weren't we? With the uh in fact, Ant Man and the Wasp uh Quantum Encounter, the dinner show thing that's yeah. gonna be on the the wish. I really don't have a clue. There's a lot more people, I believe anyway, who are going to spring for tickets for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumanium now uh, when it hits theaters in July of 2023. Can you think of a character in the sphere of of Ant-Man, you know, the Hank Pym crew? You know, I, I would think it would have to be similar in the way that Lawrence Fishburne played friends to Hank Pym back in the olden days oh. uh, in the last movie. Maybe that Bill was playing, you know, one of those... Elder statesman of the MCU that really doesn't have a a proper name or title or character. I mean, you know, Robert Redford played a big bad for one movie and, you know, it was great to have him in the MCU, but he he did his thing and then he was gone. And so I'm kind of thinking that if Bill Murray is already saying, yeah, I did one, but I'm not going to be doing another. I'm not expecting a recurring character. I'm not expecting him to be in a uniform or a costume of a hero. Mm-hmm. I'm expecting him to wear a suit and a tie to say a few words and then bugger off. Hmm. Okay. So Okay. All right. We'll, we'll find out. We'll find out. We'll definitely find out. All right. So we had the Bill Murray story. And then there was the Chris Pratt voicing Garfield, the lasagna-loving, Monday-hating fat cat in an animated feature. Chris has done voice work before. He played Emmett in the Lego movie back in 2014, as well as his less successful sequel, the Lego movie 2, the second part in 2019. Also voiced Barley Lightfoot 
in Pictures Onward, which was released theater in March of, of last year. He also, uh, a lot of people don't know, he was in the uh, Suicide Squad directed by James Gunn. Is he really in the Suicide Squad? You know, there's the rat catcher, the, the girl that has all the rats. Right. One of the rats was named Crisp. <laughs> Crisp Rat. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to show up on his IMDb or not, but uh, yeah, everyone keeps showing these pictures. Uh, James Gunn will keep tweeting these pictures out of Crisp Rat. <laughs> And what a pleasure it was to work with him again. And uh, I was like, man, he lost a lot of weight for that role. I mean, seriously, he lost like almost 200 pounds and then wedged himself into a tiny little rat costume for that role. Very, very committed to his craft, I must say. Wow. Crisp rat. Crisp All right, carry rat. on. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. And but, yeah, forgive me, gratuitous plug here. Drew Taylor, the co-host of Fine Tuning, wrote the making of book for that Dan Scanlon movie, uh, Onward. And the title of that, that book is Art of Pixar's Onward. It was published by Chronicle Books, so go buy a copy today. All right. Uh, where was a Crisp Pratt? I, I love that. Okay. But we have Chris, <laughs> yeah, was good. Chris Pratt voicing the title character of a new animated Garfield feature. But I guess I'm kind of having trouble seeing Chris. I mean... Or hearing Pratt in this role. And I love the voice work that, that Lorenzo Music did for this animated character. And I know, I know we lost Lorenzo Music in August of 2001. And since that time, a number of very talented people have voiced Garfield, including Bill Murray, who voiced this lasagna-loving cat in June of 2004. For Garfield the movie and its 2006 sequel, Garfield A Tale of Two Kitties. Which is honestly the highlight of Bill Murray's career. It's what we all know him for <laughs> and from is his work as Garfield. That was the pinnacle. I mean, nothing but down. after that, he was like, screw it. I'll do one of those Marvel movies. I can't get any higher. I was Garfield for crying out loud. Look, I really shouldn't hold it against Chris Pratt that Alcon Entertainment decided that Star-Lord should be the new, new voice of Garfield. When this Monday hater returns to your local theaters in a year or two down the line. But didn't Chris Pratt also agree back in September of this year to voice Mario for the Nintendo movie that Universal is making in collaborations with Illuminations? Yeah, and it's really weird because he's he's uh, been filming the Guardians of the Galaxy, both the Mission Rewind, and they're getting ready for the movie, and then the uh, Christmas thing, and he keeps going, It's-a-me, Star-Lord! <laughs> And it's like, no, no, you're, damn it, you're getting them mixed up. And he's like, just give me some lasagna. I'm Italian. I'm a hungry kitty. Oh, God. Not to put too fine a point on it, but there was that movie of his that debuted on Amazon early this year, The Tomorrow War, that did so well that within one week's time, they were already negotiating the deal between Pratt and Amazon and Skydance to be in Tomorrow War 2. And this is the same guy who's going to be in Jurassic World Dominion, which comes out in theaters in, in June of next year. And I know Pratt got married to Catherine Schwarzenegger back in 2019, and they just had a beautiful little girl, Lila Marie, back in August of last year. And a guy's got to provide for his family. But you, you were just talking about the three different Guardians things he's working on right now. In fact... Did you see that picture that James Gunn tweeted out of a production meeting where I guess the production designer's dog is staring soulfully into the camera and you could barely make out in the background the production paintings in, in the conference room? But you're aware of the old Texas saying, too much ain't enough. Does this feel 
like maybe too much Chris Pratt to you? After he landed that sweet, sweet gig in Suicide Squad playing a rat, I don't know how you could even talk. Well, I mean, he's got to then play a cat, and then he's going to play a plumber, and then he's going to play a dog, I'm sure. he's Yeah, like you said, he's got to make uh, some money to take care of his kid, because those cost like about $32 million per child, right? Ballpark. Well, it is a Schwarzenegger baby. They're known for their ravenous eating. So, I mean, 33 million. Okay, you know, there low, we go. Low bar. There's an old show business saying that when it comes to rats, you should always leave them wanting more. And supposedly one of the hardest things to learn in show business is knowing when to get off. Not overstaying your welcome. And again, don't get me wrong. I really like Chris Pratt. I've enjoyed his performance in a lot of movies and a lot of TV shows. I just worry that over the next two years, it's going to go somewhere from he's entertaining me to he's stalking me. Everywhere I turn around, Chris Pratt is. And well, he's going to just start his own cable channel. <laughs> it's just Chris Pratt TV, and it'll be him and his... Do you remember seeing the commercial for, I think it was Sirius XM, where Dave Grohl is screaming, I made lasagna! It's going to be like that. Chris Pratt just going, I made lasagna, you want some? I'm playing a cat who likes lasagna! <laughs> Chris Pratt TV, everybody. It's only going to cost you $30 a month because he's got to feed a Schwarzenegger baby. Okay. I should probably not overlook the irony here that I have been droning on and on for 10 minutes or so now about Chris Pratt, and people are probably tired of listening to me drone on and on about Chris Pratt. So, all right, tell you what. I'm going to shut up, and when we, Aaron and I, come back from this break, well, we're going to talk about anything but Chris Pratt appearing in, in too many movies. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We were just talking about Lorenzo Music, the writer and producer who voiced Garfield from 1982 to 2001. So who's primarily voicing that lasagna-loving cat since we, we, we lost Lorenzo? Well, that would be Frank Welker. Uh, he's the voice acting veteran. Well, I, I, again, you were talking about IMDb uh, just a little bit while ago. And if, honestly, if you go to Frank Welker's IMDb, it's easier to talk about the characters he hasn't voiced. I mean... Oh, no, I'm sure you can rattle them all off. Go for it from top to bottom, beginning to end. Let's do his whole career. Come on, Jim. No, 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 no. no. We're, we're, we're select highlights. He's been Freddie Jones, 
on Scooby-Doo since the show debuted on CBS Saturday morning back in 1969. He took over as the voice of Scooby for this continuing franchise in 2002. Those of you who love the Transformer animated series, he is the voice of Megatron and Soundwave. He is the voice of Abu the Monkey in Disney's Aladdin. Talented guy who has also worked the Marvel side of the street. From September of 1981 to 1983, Welker voiced a number of characters, including Iceman, on Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. Uh, This animated series aired on NBC as part of its Saturday morning lineup. Marvel Comics buys the Patty Frilling Enterprises, uh, the animation studio that did the Pink Panther series uh, for Saturday morning. Marvel buys to Patty Furling in 1980 so they can then form Marvel Animation. So this Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends show that Frank Welker did voice work was one of the very first times that Marvel produced its very own animated series. Now, anytime you do something for a network, or especially something like Saturday Morning, you get a lot of notes from executives, and they got hammered with good stuff from NBC. But again, they had to jump a lot of hurdles to finally make it onto NBC Saturday Morning lineup. But this Spider-Man and the Amazing, his Amazing Friend show was an important first step toward the Marvel studio that we know today. Drew Taylor and I were just talking about Marvel Comics buying to Patty Freeling over in Fine Tuning, uh, largely because we, we literally just lost David H. DePatty, the co-founder of this animation studio back on, on September 23rd. He was 91 when he passed, which meant that DePatty was 50 years old when he was producing Spider-Man is Amazing Friends for Marvel to then be shown on uh, NBC's Saturday morning lineup. Back to Frank Welker, though, now. Frank also didn't just do voice work for Marvel animation shows, but to be honest, he's probably better known for the stuff that he did for the Super Friends show, which aired on ABC as part of its Saturday morning lineup in the fall of 84 through the spring of 85. He voiced Mixelplick, the trickster who reportedly tormented Superman. Don't get me wrong, I would love to hear Frank in that voice. But have you ever heard on Superman the Animated Series when they got Gilbert Godfrey to voice this character? No, but I'm sure that's genius. Anything with Gilbert Godfrey's voices has got to be gold. So it was, yeah. it was. He, w- he was absolutely amazing. But back to Frank. Also, as part of Super Friends, he voiced DC supervillain Darkseed, as well as Darkseed's son, Calabac. Now, I don't know, you you know, obviously we're, we're in the countdown for Marvel's Eternals. Uh, have you seen the stories that have been bubbling up about how we were just talking about Superman, how the, that DC superhero actually gets mentioned in the Eternals? Oh, it's similar in the way that uh, he was mentioned in Spider-Man 2002, where Aunt May looks at Pete and says, Oh, Peter, you do so much school and work and taking care of me. You're not Superman. And he gives that little laugh. Is it something similar to that where they have to make a little reference about, I don't know who you think you are, Superman? (laughs) But uh, no, I mean, it's good that they're, they're mentioning the other camp because they exist in our, in our MCU. I mean, why not mention the, your friendly competition across the street? I am glad that you know of that and the, you can cite the Rosemary Harris line there. But yeah, that they make references to Batman. They also make, at one point, 
one character gets referred to dismissively as Alfred, you know, as in Bruce Wayne's butler. But see, now that's a diss among superheroes. You know, if you call someone Superman, well, you know, of course, because I'm a superhero. Mm-hmm. But if you call someone Alfred, ooh, them's fighting words. Put up your dukes, mister. I don't know. Since we've we've had Michael Caine as Alfred, I mean, we all love Michael Caine, but he's not wearing a cape. He doesn't have the gadgets. He doesn't have the expendable income. He's got to go to his master for a loan. Say, Mister Bruce, could I have ten million dollars so I can have a Alfred mobile? And uh, well, you've seen in all the movies how there's an Alfred mobile, right, Jim? And the Alfred wing, the the flying version of the Alfred mobile, and uh, very worried that there are Warner Brothers executives listening in right now. It's like, oh my God, we missed a potential offer up here. Um, okay, sp- speaking of Superman, I'm genuinely beginning to worry that Marvel's Eternals may need to be rescued by Batman or Superman. Have you seen the Rotten Tomatoes score for this Chloe Zhao movie? Well, we we were talking uh, on the last show, and mm. I had mentioned that one review, one word that came up in multiple reviews was the word dense. Mm. And not in the bad, duh, mm. dense kind of way, mm-hmm. but in the there's a lot to unpack in this movie kind of way. Mm-hmm. And it's also, as you had mentioned in the last episode, the second longest MCU film thus far. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe... And we haven't seen it, so we don't know. But maybe it's an issue of they tried to put too much into this one story. Maybe some people weren't able to absorb all of it like a sponge, and some of it leaked out through their ears. Mm-hmm. But we'll find out in another few days. Okay. Just so we know, though, that there were a bunch of stories up yesterday about the Rotten Tomatoes rating of 59. As of today, it stands at 57. And just to give you some sense of what the previous MCU film that, that it had, you know, had the lowest rating, that was Thor The Dark World, released to theaters in November 2013. That Alan Taylor movie had a freshest rating of 66%. And I'd say that's fairly accurate because <laughs> yes, Thor yes. 2 is probably the least favorite of most people. Of, uh, that are Marvel fans. And I just went over to Rotten Tomatoes right now, yeah. and it's the site is down, maintenance in progress. Uh, so maybe they're doing some tinkering in the background to make things work again. I don't know what's going on with that, but okay. uh, we'll have to keep an eye on that. Well, what's, what's fascinating about Thor The Dark World having that low Rotten Tomatoes rating is... Love and Thunder, the new Thor sequel that finished principal photography back in June of this year. But some photographs surfaced just this past weekend that showed Chris Hemsworth and Natalie Portman walking around New York in their Thor Dark World outfits. The way this is being explained is that Marvel did a, a first cut of Thor Love and Thunder. You know, and as they do, they, they looked at it and it's like, okay, that's good, that's good, eh, we need something here. And they took Natalie Portman and they took Chris Hemsworth to New York to shoot. Evidently, this is a flashback that is set during Thor The Dark World when Thor and Jane uh, Foster are going on a date. Now, did you see any dates on these pictures? You sure they weren't trick-or-treating for Halloween? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you get a lot of candy. That is the most convincing Thor costume I have ever seen, young man. Take all the candy. Oh, speaking of which, did you see the photographs? Of Steve Buscemi handing out... Hello, fellow young... (laughs) Hello, fellow kids. Yes. Steve Buscemi officially won Halloween this year. I mean, it's hard to top him dressing as himself as the undercover narc, but that was great. That was great. That was great. And just to be clear here, folks, the fact that, that there's photographs out there of Thor, Love and Thunder 
doing pickups doesn't mean this the Taika Waititi movie is in trouble. It just means literally it's like, okay, all right, we need something here and just to improve the film. And that's what's going on there. I like to reference this back to, because I love Lord of the Rings and their special features mm-hmm. so much. But uh, this is a great example of that. They were having in the Two Towers, the big battle, mm-hmm. and there were the oliphants that were come trampling through the, the battlefield. And uh, Peter mm-hmm. Jackson discovered that he did not have the guy with the spear jumping off of the elephant to attack one of the heroes. So he just basically grabbed a handheld cam mm-hmm. and picked up like a broom or a broom handle and goes, I need this. Rawr! And then he jumped towards the camera and it's only like a second and a half of film. <laughs> But he needed that, oh. so that way it would make the transition of here's comes the elephant, mm-hmm. here comes the guy jumping off the elephant to attack, and now here's Legolas slicing that dude in half and then sliding down the elephant's trunk. And the scene would have broken if you wouldn't have had that one second of film mm-hmm. of that guy jumping off the back of the elephant. So, I mean, there are plenty of times where you storyboard and you previs mm-hmm. and you shoot, and then you're in the editing bay and you go, wait a minute where the hell is that clip at? And they go, God, I don't think we grabbed that. All right, everyone pack it up. We're off to New York. Wow. <laughs> we okay, forgot the no, date. That, that, that one date scene, it's only two seconds, but it's crucial. That is a great description of really what it's like in the the editing room. You're in there and you're looking for that one piece of coverage that, you know, and it's just sort of like, oh God, we don't have that. <laughs> you know, and yep. you have to go back. Your entire film could fall apart because you don't have that one shot and somehow mm-hmm. it slipped off the list. Okay, so we were just talking about low-rated Marvel movies at Rotten Tomatoes, but to be honest, if we expand beyond the MCU to the spunk... I got something on my shoe again, damn it. Okay. <laughs> so, which Aaron will tell you is the, the Sony Pictures universe of Marvel characters. That really needs that O for Spumco. Right. But the original Venom, which was released to theaters in October of, of 2018, had a freshness rating of just 30... Where is its sequel of Venom, Let There Be Carnage, which was released to theaters October 1st of this year, doubled that critic score. That Andy Serkis film got a 60% freshness rating. Hold on. Wait. Stop there. I have to scroll back up and see what did Thor 2 get. 66. Mm -hmm. Huh. And that is the worst of the MCU thus far. Until the the Eternals. Remember. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yep. But uh, but uh, Venom is 6% less than Thor The Dark World, mm-hmm. and it's making all the bank in the world. We were talking early on about how well Venom did over its opening weekend. In fact, I, I think we talked about what happened the weekend after that with No Time to Die and only did half of what the box of his Venom did. And everybody in the industry was talking about, what does that mean? Does it mean adults aren't willing to go back to theaters? Or lots of interesting theories. But what's interesting is if you circle back to Venom, let there be carnage. After that great opening weekend, the wind kind of went out of its sails. That, you know, in fact, the original Venom at this point had grossed $213 million. Whereas right now, Venom Let There Be Carnage is sitting at 191 million domestic, which is roughly 10% less of what the original Venom earned in domestic ticket sales. And a lot of people in the industry talking about this, they can't decide whether it's the pandemic, whether people who would normally double and triple dip who are superhero fans. I saw it once, I don't need to go see it again. At any point, did they ever think it's just a movie? 
<clears throat> or did they have to point somewhere else and go, oh, it's a pandemic, or it was uh, because they didn't come five times in the theaters, or maybe we just handed them a sandwich, and nobody likes to eat a sandwich, so it didn't make as much money. Well, in regard to that flavor of sandwich, I have to admit, I finally went to a movie theater and saw Venom Let There Be Carnage myself. Oh, God. Tell us about it. What did you see? Tell me. I need to know. Well, it is professionally produced. Mind you, I was the only one in the theater. I was there for a matinee on a Thursday afternoon. And I got to tell you, Aaron, this film is cut within an inch of its life. I mean, there are, (laughs) it's so tightly edited. There are actually action scenes in this, especially the final battle set inside of the cathedral that's under renovations in San Francisco that just don't make sense. I mean, characters are suddenly wrapped up in chains where it's like, well, where did the chain come from? And how did you get there? And I've read about that. And that made me cautious as well. But the the fact that you're able to actually pick it out and notice it as one of your top critiques is, yeah, that's that's not a good sign for, and you, wait a minute, Hmm. you just called it professionally produced. What the hell, man? Well, no. Come on now. The effects work is great. And Tom Hardy, who appears in the film, but also helped write it. It's not that it's not fun. We just need a couple of shots of Peter Jackson holding a broom handle <laughs> jumping off of an elephant to figure out what the hell happened and why everybody's in chains. Because yeah. apparently they forgot some stuff along the way. I honestly don't know what to tell you other than I have this uneasy feeling that if we all buy the Venom Let There Be Carnage Blu-ray or DVD, maybe we get to see the cutscenes and understand what went on here. <laughs> anyway. Uh, that's that's how I want to watch a movie is I want to go to the special features and find out what they forgot to put in the movie for it to make sense in the theatrical version. Can't wait. And I'm going to question every time you say the words professionally produced from now on. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Um, <laughs> going forward, uh, just today, we had the, the Morbius trailer, the teaser trailer drop. Got to say, me personally, enjoyed seeing Michael Keaton and Matt Smith. Likewise, the references to Spidey and Venom were kind of fun. What did you think, Aaron? Well, I won't I won't offend our delicate listeners' ears by referring to that sandwich again. Mm-hmm. But this is the double-decker of that sandwich. If you, you know, go to McDonald's and go, boy, one cheeseburger's not enough. Mm-hmm. Give me a double of the previous Venom sandwich. And uh, so we've got... The uh, poster with the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man mm-hmm. on the wall. Yep. We've got the Oscorp building using the same font from the Andrew Garfield Amazing Spider-Man movies. We've got a Tom Holland villain appearing in the trailer. We get two references to Venom. By the way, halfway through, I thought we were actually doing a Venom trailer because they had to have two references to Venom in the Morbius trailer. Mm-hmm. I think they may have mentioned Venom more than Morbius. To me, it's just proof that Sony gives zero intercourses mm-hmm. about anything but grabbing money because it doesn't make sense. It, you know, is this a multiverse? Sure. All in one huge steaming pile mm-hmm. of multiverse. They just are so eager to jam everything together that I really don't think they care about making sense of their properties. They just want to get it on the screen. They want people to buy their ticket. And we've seen characters fly. And I I think, you know, Thor Mm -hmm. flinging his hammer and it pulling him into the sky. That is stupid as it is. It makes sense to me Mm -hmm. because Mjolnir is freaking heavy. Mm -hmm. 
we don't need to mention Superman. It's just one of his innate abilities. Tony Stark has little repulsor blasters that lift him off the ground. Morbius just wants to fly and somehow does without wings or any other sort of propulsion. I just don't know what they were thinking throughout most of this. Now, on the flip side, I think the Morbius character looks cool mm. when he's in his vampire form. I think it looks really neat. I don't understand the purple smoke around him mm. when he's doing his stuff. I think that just makes it look flashy and cool, but it doesn't make any sense to the character or the style. It, it's just a fi- a, an embellishment to look cool. I want to be on board with things. I want to be able to like it, but in this trailer, I was just like... What's the goal here? What are you trying to do? And God help me. I mean, I know that we've had uh, Tom Holland mention that once Spider-Man No Way Home is done, it's the end of the home trilogy. And should there be more spider movies, it'll be a whole different thing. And I'm so afraid that he's accurate in that sentiment Mm -hmm. that it will be a whole different thing. And it will be just Sony playing with their toys with no input from anyone that's got a working brain. So I'm I'm worried. Uh, forgive me, but you were mentioning that what's going on, you know, potentially multiverse-wise. When we were pre-gaming tonight, you were also talking about what's going on with the official Spider-Man No Way Home trailer and, and what you've been tracking, both rumors and news on this thing. Do you do you want to elaborate? Yeah. Well, every morning I get up, I check my Twitter feed just to see what's the the hubbub for the day. And Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Spider-Man No Way Home have been trending for a week and a half. And for no reason whatsoever, outside of everybody in the world is saying, absolutely confirmed without a shadow of a doubt that Tobey Maguire's absolutely in the movie. Uh, absolutely confirm that Andrew Garfield is in the movie, and then they just keep going on down this list. Now, we've had a leak of the new Green Goblin look for the movie, which part of me is is on board because I love Willem Dafoe. I love Alfred Molina as Doc Ock. I love the design of the characters from those movies. So when I saw the new Green Goblin costume, it's very much the Raimi costume minus the helmet with some battle damage. So not a big difference. And they did add a brown pack that goes slung over his shoulder and he wears on his side like to throw his pumpkin bombs from. And that was like one thing I always thought was missing from the the first design was, oh, where's this little bag with all the pumpkin bombs and gadgets? And he's got a little finger zapper thing and all this other stuff that that didn't make it to the movie. That's fine. That's cool. I'm okay with minor changes. Mm -hmm. But the thing that kind of is starting to get to me is we've had... Now, three different versions of cinematic Spider-Man and the Sam Raimi movies had their style. The Andrew Garfield and Mark Webb movies had their style. Uh, Like, I like the look of the Rhino. Mm. You know, I didn't care so much for how they handled Electro, Mm. making him the blue version. But that was the ultimate Spider-Man universe Electro. And that's fine that they went with that version. But the thing that's starting to really eat me up right now is I have been waiting to see what an MCU version of Doc Ock would be Mm. or an MCU version of the Green Goblin. Because when we got Spider-Man, his eyes moved. And there was so much emoting that can be done with that one simple change to the costume. Mm -hmm. Like... The fact that he is the Iron Spider costume with the arms, I don't care about that. The fact that he's a black and red version of, it almost looks like the Alex Ross black and red costume, that's totally fine. Yeah, I don't really care about the minor cosmetic changes to the costume. It was the eyes, the fact that they moved, and I said, this is my MCU Spider-Man. This is an amazing movement forward for this character. So I've been waiting for 
you know, like when we got the the vulture, mm-hmm. I was so thrilled with how they presented it because it wasn't the old man with the mm-hmm. the fur collar yep. and the green suit and, and the that stretch pants and all that. It just this looked cool. And then we got Mysterio, and I had such high hopes for Mysterio, and he was amazing looking. And they gave his costume a reason and a purpose, and it was wonderful. And I'm like, oh come on, third Spider Man, what are we gonna get? Are we gonna get a goblin hint? Are we gonna get a Doc Ock? What what villain are we gonna get? And we're getting all of the same from the other movies and not a real MCU version. So it's like, I don't want to rehash. And if we do a Sinister Six, why is this No Way Home? Why isn't it just called Sinister Six? And if it is Sinister Six, why do we need two other Spider-Man? Because Spider-Man has always been able to find a way to defeat all six of them by himself. He didn't need two other photocopies of previous incarnations of himself to save the day. So yeah, the the rumors that have been coming out, and then on top of it, Feige has been saying to kind of temper everyone's expectations, is don't get your hopes up on what you think the movie is going to be. Because then when you get in the theater and we give you the movie that it is, you might be disappointed. Because right now there are a lot of people that are 100% under the belief that Toby and Andrew are going to be in this movie. What if they're not? Just a what if. Mm-hmm. Uh, chances are they are in the movie, but what if they're not? That's like 90% of the audience right now on Twitter who's going to be pissed. Really, really pissed. Like, like they are going to feel that Marvel lied to them directly. Like they've been promising and promising. And the th- fact is, Marvel has not promised you anything. This has all been rumors and speculation that's just been handed around the rumor mill 500,000 times by everybody that has no content. So they go, oh, it's just recirculate the Spider-Man rumors of Toby. I, I mean, I've seen pictures of Toby Maguire holding a roll of paper. You know what the headline is? Toby Maguire holding the official Spider-Man No Way Home poster. And it's like, where in that picture does it even signify that it's a, a movie poster? It's a roll of paper. I mean, it has the dimensions that it could be a movie poster, but we don't see what... He, it's not like he unrolled it and showed it to everybody. It's a roll of freaking paper. So we don't know that it's the the poster for the movie. This is just online BS clickbait. And, uh, you know, it's one thing that I, I'm thankful that we don't really participate in that aspect of it. Like, we've never said, mm-hmm. yes, this is going to happen. We've speculated, what if it happened? Mm-hmm. And I, I do want to speculate about one thing, Jim, and get your opinion. Mm-hmm. What if, and, and this has got to go both ways. We've got to go, what if Toby and Andrew are in the movie and what if they're not? And I'm going to start out with what if they are, because this is the, the big one to unpack. Mm-hmm. If they're in the movie, Marvel and Sony are going to be releasing in about a week or so 4K Blu-ray versions of the Raimi Spider-Man movies and the Web mm-hmm. Spider-Man movies. And so if they do put Toby and Andrew in this movie, they're going to sell a boatload of copies of those 4K movies because there's some young viewers out there that may not have gotten to experience Spider-Man in 2002. That's almost 20 years ago now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a 17-year-old may not have ever even knew that existed until this shows up, right? Mm-hmm. So they can they can sell more copies of that Blu-ray. And you know what? If we're going to talk about the multiverse, let's go hog wild and just go all the way in. They could also go to the original TV series from the 70s. 
that they had. It was only like four or five episodes or whatever, and it didn't do all that great, but they could sell that. They could do the Japanese Spider-Man, that very little resemblance to our Spider-Man, but it still exists. It's a multiverse. Why not? We could sell that too. But if you open up that door... You can sell the Blade movies. You can go back and sell the old Captain America with J.D. Salinger's son playing Captain America in that from the very early 80s where he's wearing like a motorcycle helmet. You can go back and, and re-release you know, or, or sell the Fantastic Four movies again. All of the X-Men movies are all of a sudden in their own little universe. And we can acknowledge those and embrace those like they are part of our canon now. And that can lead to sales of movies that were long considered dead financially by the the Disney company. So there is a reason to put Toby and Andrew in these movies. It's to sell more copies of stuff that has been sitting on a shelf gathering dust for a while because people are not currently as interested in the old Fantastic Four movies and the reboot thereof that was very much panned. But all of a sudden, if we give you a reason, a little glimpse of, oh my God, there's uh, Jessica Alba's The Invisible Woman again for some strange reason. People are going to go buy that again, just because. MCU showed it to me. I got to go. I'm a completionist. I got to go have it. On the flip side, what if they don't add it? Well, then they can't quite add those things as easily. And I'll point to the uh, WandaVision. Mm-hmm. We thought the multiverse was wide open when we got Quicksilver back, only to find out that wasn't Quicksilver. Mm-hmm. So... Who knows what they're going to do? I mean, we're not going to know until December. No. But more importantly, right now, everyone's focused on the Eternals because that's what comes out next, and rightfully so. We should be talking more about the Eternals. It's just that there's so much crap out there about Andrew and Toby that you kind of have to filter that out as noise mm-hmm. until we get something more solid. Jim, what are your thoughts on all of that? I'm kind of leaning into Mr. Feige's advice. You know, to the effect I'm trying to go in to No Way Home with realistic expectations. I want to mm-hmm. be surprised. I want to be delighted. I, I, and I, to be fair, I've enjoyed the two previous John Watts Spider-Man movies. Mm-hmm. And I, I, yes. I love how they bumped up against the MCU. And so I'm trying to go into this with measured realistic expectations. It's interesting you bring up the Oscorp thing and all the various references that you made to the Morbius teaser trailer and had a mutual friend of ours reach out and just sort of point out, well, you know, it is the film that arrives in theaters after No Way Home, after the the door of the multiverse gets kicked open. And, you know, we have also, you know, if you remember that end scene at the end of Venom, Let There Be Carnage, where where Eddie and, and Venom are in the hotel room that suddenly mutates from a crummy little dingy little resort room to suddenly... You know, some were looking out a window in the South Seas in a much improved hotel room that there's at least one character that's already entered the multiverse. So maybe that that's what we're looking at. The only thing that I would say that's the wrong mm-hmm. impression is for the Morbius trailer, because even if he's in the multiverse, mm-hmm. is he in all three at the same time? Uh. Can he be? I mean, I'll give you one. If, mm. if he's in one of them, cool. I will shut the hell up forever and ever about it and say fair play. Mm-hmm. But if they're going to tease Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man and Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man and Tom Holland's Spider-Man and two references to Venom in the Morbius trailer, Mm -hmm. they are putting all of their stupid, rotten, spoiled eggs into one stupid basket that needs to be broken over their stupid head. (laughs) I don't know if I'm going a little bit harsh on this, but whoever is leading that thing up... And and you know what? I like Jared Leto. Mm Mm-hmm. 
he's a good actor. Mm-hmm. He's a good musician. He's probably even a good guy. Mm-hmm. But he's in a stupid movie. <laughs> so, okay. So I, I, I you kind know, of just if you listen carefully. You can actually hear your fruit basket, you know, being scraped off of the Christmas gift list from the folks at Sony. And then they stepped on it and they created a bunch of spunk out of it. What the hell? Oh, you know what? Let's make a movie out of it. Jerks. <laughs> right. Well, again, between what's going on with, you know, with the Eternals and, and Rotten Tomatoes and what's going on with the movies, you have to remember, let's end on a positive note. Remember, November 24th, is when Hawkeye shows up. Yay for something good. Yeah, on, on Disney Plus. And did we talk about the latest trailer, the one that's built around Haley Steinfeld's Kate Bishop character? Not enough. Okay. We should talk about it more, yes. Yeah, that looks great. That looks fun. In a weird sort of way, that's a very confident MCU property. That's a Clint Barton who knows who he is in the world and is suddenly surrounded by enemies with his family in New York trying to enjoy the holidays. And that's an intriguing, clean, easy-to-understand premise, which right now in the Marvel Universe, easy-to-follow you know, <laughs> premises are kind of rare, kind of hard to find. So, they um, are. all right, we'll tell you what, folks. By this time next week, Aaron and I will hopefully both have, have managed to see The Eternals, and we can talk a little bit more knowledgeably about the actual film and the implications of, of what this does to the MCU and what this does to films further on down the line. And, and there are supposedly two cutscenes, including the. The one with Mr. Styles is, is that... Uh, I don't know, and I don't want to give anything... I feel bad that we spoiled that early, because, yeah, I mean, you know, the end credit scenes are that magical little thing. It's, it's like the after-dinner mint, mm-hmm. right? You had a beautiful, wonderful, delicious dinner. You're stuffed, and then the waiter comes up, like in the Monty Python scene, but mm-hmm. uh, just one thin mint. All right, just one mint. And then you explode when you have that little extra mint at the oh, end of the credits mr creosote oh just yes yes, yes. That, that was terry jones i felt so bad for him in that suit but yeah everyone that gets that reference uh yeah. you get one marvelous disney cool point remember they have no value but they are worth one mint depending on where you trade it in oh did you see where our listeners are online trying to get a tsunami going so zendaya zendaya Will accept her her role as a unit of measure going forward. Oh, are they actually going to change it to uh, category strength hurricanes are now measured in Zendaya's as well? We now have height and width and length and then uh, category Zendaya 24. Right? We're going to have to talk with the folks at the Weather Channel now, aren't we? <laughs> I've actually got a friend that works there, so yeah, I can make that call real quick. Wow. Okay. Well, okay. It, it's going to be an interesting. <laughs> we're we're at the tail end of the hurricane season, right? You know, we we don't we don't have to worry about them rushing the entire unit of measure out the door, right? Or. Not for this season, but next season it will be locked and loaded and ready for play. Wow. Okay, well, you heard it here first, folks. All right. This time next week, we'll be back talking about the Eternals. But in the meantime, you know, Aaron, it's always a treat to see what you're doing on social media. Can you tell folks how they can find you out there? Yeah, it's really, really challenging, guys. And I'm really sorry that it's going to take so much effort on your behalf. But you have to go to your grandparents' house and find a rotary phone. Okay, this is the only way it works. You get a rotary phone and you dial 1-800-TWITTER. And when the operator 
answers and asks who you'd like to be connected to, you have to mumble under your breath, Ed is a prod, and then hang up real quick. And that's how you find me on on uh, the rotary phone, Twitter. Uh, we were just cleaning out the basement recently, and I found my brownie camera, but have yet to come across a rotary phone. I will keep looking. Okay, I, I'm going to tell you a little secret, Jim. A couple weeks ago online, mm-hmm. you you can look it up. Mm-hmm. It's the old Fisher Price toy rotary phone. Yes. Okay. They made a they made a Bluetooth version of it, so you can actually use the old Fisher Price rotary phone and connect it Bluetooth to like say your iPhone or Android or whatever device you're using to make phone calls nowadays, tin can and a string. And uh, yeah, you can actually relive your, your babyhood of uh, <laughs> making phone calls through a Fisher Price Bluetooth enabled rotary phone. Oh, I, I... If only I could mow the lawn with that popcorn thing. The... <laughs> Remember that? You push I, it along yes, the, yes. The I just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I... I kind of want one wow okay no actually i'm getting one for the wife at work so she can answer angry (laughs) complaint calls at the news desk with the fisher price phone because they're all a bunch of children no that would that would be great (laughs) holy cow okay so all right on our side of the fence if you're looking for us on social media you can find us at twitter and instagram it's jim hill media and on facebook it's jim hill media news if you could do Aaron and I a favor, if you could head over to uh, Apple Podcasts, where you could rate and recommend the show. And likewise, if you really, really, really like what you heard here, uh, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be great. Final bit of news. If you are a Hollywood producer, I'm begging you. Just say no to hiring Chris Pratt to appear in your movie. And again, no disrespect to Mr. Pratt. I'm just saying. Do- he just doesn't want that Schwarzenegger baby to get fat. <laughs> Off all that cheese that he's making, all that cheddar, because he's crisp rat. (laughs) Okay, can't top that. So again, (laughs) thanks for listening, folks, and we will be back soon.